Hey, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm your host, Neil Blackman. And today's show, it'll be uh, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com and I, uh, talking about uh, Florida's win over Georgia. And uh, we'll get into the Texas A&M matchup and, and field a bunch of listener questions um, that came in from, from Twitter uh, as well. So uh, let's just get it going. Big win for the Gators on the road, and we're going to talk about it. Hi, everybody. I am with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We're going to talk about uh, Florida's victory. Uh, it's nice to talk about a win um, Saturday over Georgia, and, and then we're going to get into listener questions after we discuss the uh, unfortunate news that Keith Stone has been lost to the, lost for the season. Put the Stone injury in the back of your mind real quick because we're going to discuss the Georgia game first. So uh, welcome, Eric, and, and your thoughts on uh, Florida's win in Athens. Yeah, trying to uh, try not to think about that stone injury, but I mean, yeah. Other than that, um, they obviously defended uh, defended pretty well. It just seemed like there was that one that one stretch um, to start the second half that obviously Georgia got loose a little bit, but uh, they clamped down in that final ten minutes in in a really impressive way. Um, I thought that they, uh, you know, they kind of controlled the glass when they when they needed to a little bit, and um, I also had some some moments of uh, of pretty good offense for sure. And um, I think that uh, a lot of that also stemmed from the, uh, um, you know, I think we liked having Keontae Johnson there in the starting lineup, um, something that we're going to see a little bit more of. And, um, but yeah, overall, they, uh, they took care of business in a game that they, uh, they really needed to win. Um, I thought that, that Coach White's adjustments out of timeouts in this game uh, proved to be really, they, they were very impactful. I don't know. I want to say that they were. So I, I don't ever think anything a coach necessarily does is the difference in a game, but I thought his adjustments were very impactful, particularly uh, just the defensive adjustment that, that Florida made with about 10 minutes to go. Oh yeah. Uh, that was, that was pretty clear. And just uh, um, the way too that, um, that I thought was just obviously uh, so impressive that they just completely took Ray Sean Hammonds out of things. And I know some of that was, was foul trouble, but uh yeah, I mean, he still, you know, was on the court for 15 minutes, and that's their leading score. And um, the Gators just forced the ball out of his hands all the time. And uh, I think that they, um, you know, kind of allowed, allowed, you know, Derek Okbede to play when, with the ball in his hands a little bit more, and even like Tayshawn Hightower, uh, and just kind of let those guys um, operate a little bit more with the ball. Um, but they just kind of said, like, no, like, Rayshon Hammonds isn't going to beat us. And um, uh, obviously when, uh, when you're a team that doesn't score super well, like Georgia, and you're, you know, your top scorer is – uh, not scoring when he's on the floor and then, you know, in foul trouble for a lot of it, um, it's going to be tough for you to win. Do you think they did a nice job of helping the helper inside too? It was like, you know, because Mississippi State, and, and granted, uh, Mississippi State is a veteran team with, and a more talented team, but Florida was really hurt on passes after the help came in the Mississippi State game. Um, those just really weren't there for Georgia. And in fact, Florida got a couple steals early in the game on, on plays that Egbede tried to make uh, doing that. And Nick Claxton, I thought, kind of set the tone for Florida defensively. Yeah, there was that time. I mean, I think uh, I, I remember seeing the graphic on the broadcast, but I think like, you know, I think Georgia started out like, you know, 0 for 5, but with like, and then they also had like four turnovers, <laughs> like almost had, you know, they weren't scoring and they almost turned the ball over as many times as they, they shot it and uh, 
you know, it's kind of the old coach's adage that uh, when one person helps, everyone helps. You know, as soon as one person steps up, everyone else has to rotate and there's a place for everyone to be on the floor. And that's just kind of the difference between uh, good and great off or sorry, good and great defense. I mean, uh, a, a good defense has, uh, you know, the first defender there to help when needed. But a great defensive team has, uh, you know, help the helper. They've got everyone rotating and um, right. Florida is obviously becoming that and uh, just continuing to continuing to get better for a team that obviously already is very good defensively. So the Gators improved to, to 10 and seven. They're two and three in the conference. Again, I mean, if you're, if you're looking for silver linings, uh, two of the losses are to the number one team in America and what was essentially a one possession game on the road at a top 20 Mississippi state team. And then uh, a South Carolina team that's four and one in the league, regardless of what they did out of the conference. So um a big opportunity for Florida coming back Tuesday night at home, but they'll have to do it without uh redshirt junior swing forward, Keith stone, who has uh, lost for the season with an ACL injury. Your thoughts on the, on the stone injury. Well, I mean, it just, uh, I, I, I mean, a lot, a lot of it is looking like, Oh, this is such bad luck for the Gators. And a lot of people talking about that and like how unlucky are the Gators to lose so many guys. Um, I definitely just don't want to, um, lose the fact that I just, uh, you know, the sucks for the Gators, but I mean, I just feel so bad for Keith Stone just personally. And I think that can, that can get lost in uh, when you kind of look at like, Oh, the Gators lose another front court player. Like how unlucky are they? I mean, um, I really feel for Keith Stone and um, the way that he was having probably is, you know, best game of the season, the best half and the way that he injured himself on a major hustle play when he got back and swatted away that shot that, you know, could have been an and one, obviously the foul was there, but you know, could have been an N one or could have been an easy layup. And uh, just, you know, to get injured on a hustle play just really shows, um, uh, it kind of says a lot about Keith Stone that he's, you know, he ha- he's had a rough, uh, he had a rough start to the season, but I mean, it, his, his effort never wavered. That was, uh, that was never the issue for him. And um, uh, obviously uh, from a, from a team standpoint, this makes them pretty thin at the, the power forward spots and, and in the front court. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I'm just uh, kind of interested to hear, hear next kind of what the timeline is for him and, uh, and to see, uh, to see when he plans on, uh, on being back next year, if he'll be ready, uh, you know, on night one of the season or, or, or when. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the interesting thing. And, and obviously I'm with you in terms of, uh, it has to be anytime you're, you, you have an injury like that in basketball, um, or in any sport, uh, but. The, the knee injuries in basketball seem to be the ones that linger the longest a lot of the time. And, and uh, that's, that's brutal, especially when you're on the back end of your junior season, which, which he started to be. And, you know, yeah, I mean, Johnny Boone was hurt in early February. Uh, Keith Stone here mid January, but we saw what happened with the recovery. Um, so these things can be, these things can be really tough. Uh, and I feel for him, and then it's got to be doubly frustrating to happen in, in in a game where it looks like he's finding his himself a little bit. Um, in terms of of what happens to the team, I know that uh, average Gator guy and uh, Drew Helmich both had listener questions about uh, what Florida will do without Keith Stone and and who gets more reps. And you know, my thought on it is that. We already just saw Keontae Johnson play 30 minutes, so that probably means that somebody else is going to play more, whether that's more Jalen Hudson, uh, more DeAndre Ballard. 
you know, it's hard to say. I mean, what people have to realize now is that Florida has essentially lost its two power forwards on the preseason roster, right? Yeah, and uh, they're they're kind of gonna their hand is gonna be forced in this position where and, I mean it was kind of funny because for so long it was like hey Jalen Hudson's struggling like get someone else on the floor. There's you know some people that kind of believed in him and thought you should play through the mistakes, but a lot of people that were just saying hey this guy's not commanding minutes. And I mean right now I think now he's commanding minutes. And uh, you know did I think he's going to be commanding minutes at the four spot to start the season? Uh, I certainly wouldn't have said that before the season, but. Uh, now it looks like he's uh, he's gonna have to play more, and um, yeah, like you mentioned it too. Maybe uh, maybe DeAndre Ballard, um, maybe he'll get uh, get minutes in that role as well. Um, the other um, option is uh, maybe you see Florida. You know, Florida could potentially go a little bit bigger, and, and you might see um, you know Kavaris Hayes and Dante Bassett on the floor at the same time. But the thing is, those are pretty much our only two centers right now because uh, Isaiah Stokes hasn't really been. Uh, in the rotation and by not really been in the rotation, I of course be has not been in the rotation, but um, uh, you know, maybe you play a little bit bigger with, um, with, uh, yeah, with, uh, with Hayes and, and Bassett on the floor at the same time. And um, you know, have, have Hayes uh, guarding on the perimeter a little bit more. Um, the offense would probably be hurt by that um, a little bit with the, with the kind of spacing. Um, and of course, if that happens, you would definitely need Isaiah Stokes to be, uh, to be playing some more minutes because uh, you know, if those two are on the same, on the same time, I mean, uh, you're going to have to spell them at some point, and that would mean uh, you would need Stokes to be playing some five for, you know, maybe 15 minutes a game. So uh, that's probably a little bit less likely, and I think it will be the, the four guard with, with um, Hudson or, or, uh, or Ballard. But, um, yeah, that's kind of what we've seen here recently anyways with, uh, with four guards out. So um, I think we'll just see a little bit more of the same. Yeah, that, that was one – another listener question. Um, just a second. Sorry. <laughs> It was uh, Michael Pusatera asked if we're going to see Stokes now with with the uh, injury to Stone. Is that open a door for Isaiah Stokes? And and I don't think it does really. Um, I think you know. I mean, certainly, I guess if if you look at it just from a percentages standpoint, I I suppose the percent chance Isaiah Stokes is forced to play increases, but. But I don't think it would be a choice, at least at present, based on just his lack of, of conditioning and, and the fact that by most accounts from, from inside the program, he's, he's just very difficult to, uh, to deal with right now. Yeah, that's, um, yeah you kind of uh, hinted at the stuff I've been hearing as well. That, um, he's just, he hasn't done himself many favors from, uh, from kind of his conditioning and his attitude surrounding it. And obviously that's... Um, uh, that's what's holding him off the floor right now. And I think that when you watch the, you know, the first game he didn't play, um, I think maybe it was, uh, maybe it was the one before that, but I mean, it was that Tennessee game. And, um, you know, I just remember thinking, watching, watching the Gators play Tennessee, that there's just no way that Stokes can get on the floor. There's no way he can play in the middle of this one, three, one zone. Um, there's no way he could play within this press that Florida is running. And uh, for that reason, I just, I just didn't really think he, he fit into what Florida was doing. And right now it just seems like, um, uh, I guess what, what I would say, uh, do, you know, does, uh, does the injury to stone open up more minutes for, for Stokes? Uh, to me, I, I don't think it was really a log jam that was keeping Stokes out to start with. Um, I don't think that there was that many bodies in front of him anyways. If he was command, if he was playing better, he would have commanded minutes. He would have, gotten more minutes from for that Bassett we're taking because uh, Bassett's been good, but I mean, it's not like he's commanding tons and tons of minutes. And, um, you know, you might see Stokes out there at the same time as Hayes or something. And uh, the other thing about, about Stokes is, you know, he's, 
yeah, you know, if he's going to play, he has to be an offensive threat because we know he's not going to be a defensive anchor or anything. And the fact of the matter is, you know, he had nine points against LaSalle. Uh, but other than that, I mean, he's had zero or two points in, in you know, playing nine minutes. And he's somewhere around the 44% from the field um, on the inside. And if he's going to play, I mean, he's got to be closer to 50% from the field. He's got to he's got to hit some of the three point shots that we saw him hit in high school. Like, like he has to be an above average offensive player to, to be a, to be a valuable piece on the floor. And just whenever he's been out there this season, he hasn't been in a plus offensive player. I, I don't even think he's been an average offensive player. And uh, the fact that he's going to be a, a negative defensive player at this point in his career, uh, that, that just isn't good enough. Yeah. I think that's uh it's pretty comprehensive answer to that question. I don't really have a whole lot to add. It's a whole lot to add there. Um, well, I hogged that one. I apologize. No, no, I like it. I like it. You know, we get, we get, we get stuck on uh tangents sometimes on, on this show. And I think it's because we're both coaches and we're both passionate about topics. So if we can move on, let's move on. Uh, J- Jason Kessler um, was pleased with the victory, but wants to know uh, if, if, either of us understand what kind of offense Mike White really wants to run at Florida. <laughs> he, he says, uh, he says year one, Florida pressed a ton, um, shot a lot of threes year two stifling half court on both sides of the ball. Uh, pretty balanced offensively year three, um, pretty stifling half court defense kind of, a lot of everything offensively, a lot of isolation with Chiosa. And then uh, year four, um, they've got this one, three, one now that they play and they're still shooting a lot, a lot of threes. Uh, so that's, he says it's through three recruiting classes. It's kind of hard to identify what he wants Florida's offensive identity to be. What do you think? I mean, I think it's pretty, uh, the fact that Mike White is so, uh, so open in talking about a lot of things, I think it makes it pretty easy to know what he wants to be because he talks about how he wants to be a dribble drive team. And, he, you know, he, he talks about wanting to be able to score out of his motion offense. Um, and it's just in everything he says, you know, he was talking this year about how he's had to call more sets, but he doesn't want to do that. That was his quick caveat after saying that he, uh, that, you know, he's, uh, that we're, we're setting, where he's like, we're, you know, setting up, we're slowing it down and calling a lot more sets, but that's not how I want to play, but it's best for this group. Um, so I, I just think everything points to the fact he wants to be a, a dribble drive basketball team. So, uh, you know, we can certainly argue and we have argued the merits of, is that the best option or, um, or not. But I, I think if you just say, what does Mike White want to do? I, I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, no, I, that, that was kind of going to be my answer. And it's conversations I've had with Jason privately. Cause uh, you know, it's obviously one of Florida's basketball's biggest supporters, most vocal supporters and most knowledgeable fans. And I think, uh, and I, you know, but that said, I've said, I think it, I think it's definitely a dribble drive team. And, and what I would say about year two is that I'm not really sure that was necessarily a half court offense so much as it was a team that, that, uh, that was more of a natural dribble drive offense, just because while Canyon Barry isn't necessarily somebody that you think of off the top of your head as a dribble drive player, uh, Canyon was kind of good at creating space and getting into the lane and Florida ran a lot of cuts with him out of their motion offense, which is what Mike White's talking about when he's talking about scoring out of his motion offense. I think that team, which was very efficient offensively is a lot closer, right? To what White wants to do. Yeah, I think so. And, and one thing I, I really liked about, yeah, about Canyon Barry is he could attack closeouts really well. 
um, right. which is what you've got to do. And you're not a plus athlete. Um, if you're an elite athlete or, or a skilled player, um, you know, you can stare down a guy and, and dribble him down and, and get by him. But if you're Canyon Barry, you've got to be able to attack closeouts. And I think he was really good at that. And um, Devin Robinson was another guy that's obviously an elite athlete, but I don't think he was great in isolation, but just um, could attack a closeout. And Justin Leon, same thing, not a plus athlete, could attack a closeout. Um, and yeah, just that, that kind of kept them, like you said, getting into the paint and, and getting high percentage kickout threes. And um, I think, obvious, I mean, the numbers would obviously very clearly back that up as the best offensive Florida basketball team of the Mike White era. And um, yeah, that's how they did it. They got in the paint. Yeah, I mean, look, and, and you know, Canyon Barry, obviously another guy who could, he could get to the foul line quite a bit. And, and uh, I didn't think we were going to get to hoop all today, but let's let's just mention that like I sent out a tweet and of course Scotty Lewis went and embarrassed my tweet by <laughs> dropping like 20 points in the second half. But, but uh, I think Scotty Lewis's biggest offensive contribution to Florida next year is going to be a guy that can attack the basket and draw fouls. Yeah, they need it. And I mean, like you said, he showed his jump shot, which is much improved from last time I saw it and drilled a couple pull-up threes, which is awesome to see. Um, Great. But, but right. yeah, <laughs> right after he tweeted out, it's funny how that works. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, but Florida need guys who can get to the, to the hoop. And that's just something that comes up pretty much on every podcast you and me have had is that we talk about how Florida needs that dimension of guys that can get to the hoop. So um, saying that, that Scotty Lewis's biggest contribution will be getting to the hoop isn't to say that, you know, he's not going to be able to shoot the ball because it looks like he might be. But just because, yeah, Florida needs that attacking threat. And, um, yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think that'll be his, his biggest contribution. Right. Like, and I forget who, who tweeted that, that he, he, you know, of course he says he idolizes LeBron James. Well, good. Every player should. But, yeah. but, uh, but Paul George was an interesting one because I still think I, I love, I almost want to just shoot him some like Andre Iguodala YouTube clips. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a pretty, that'd be a pretty good, uh, pretty good comparison there. And be like, I, I don't know. That's, that's who his game reminds me of a little more. Um, he might be like plus plus defensively compare comparatively too, which, you know, cause Jaden, the guy that he was primarily guarding today is a, is a top 15 recruit. Yeah. He's top five in 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I mean, I don't think it's, it's pretty, pretty easy to say that Lewis got the better of that battle today. So it's exciting. I mean, Scotty Lewis, but, but that defensive performance today is the point that I think Eric and I have tried to emphasize about him is that culturally Scotty Lewis is, Biggest fit is with Mike White's desire for Florida to be an elite defensive team, right? And everything else after that is stuff that they think that they can improve or develop or build upon. Um, and, and certainly he fits into the dribble drive idea. Totally. Um, yeah, his, his ability to defend is just incredible. And the way he can, uh, especially again, guarding Jaden uh, McDaniels, who's six foot 10 and like, uh, was you know taking him on the block or or trying to shoot over top of him and just Scotty Lewis. I know at one point it was he was two for fifteen from the floor. Um, yeah. I forgot what he ended up, but I mean yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's your number five player in the country, six foot ten, elite athlete, and Scotty Lewis at six foot five was just clamping him. So uh, that was awesome to see and uh, very very impressive. And uh, but yeah, like you said, uh, he's a guy that I think fits into the dribble drive just with his athleticism, and um, we know he's going to be a plus defender. So. Um, yeah, I'm just uh, very excited to see him in orange and blue. So, uh, 
Romar Payne is going to play here in about 15 minutes. Um, and that, boy, that school is very busy. They're going to uh, – also, if anybody's interested and is local, Florida local, not Edmonton, Alberta local, um, <laughs> you can uh, – you can go to the Montverde Academy tournament this weekend and see a lot of Division One talent, not just on Montverde Academy. And uh, you also may see a uh, coach whose voice you hear on the Florida Basketball Podcast. So, oh, uh, yeah. a little, a little have, shout out. Oh, you have to put on a show. Get a <laughs> maybe get a tee from the bench there. I don't know. <laughs> I'll see what I I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Somebody. If I can barely move after we had a weekend practice and um, we're working on, on straight line drives and, and trying to explain to players that if you're in guarding position, you're allowed to move. And it's something that players don't understand. <laughs> and uh, it did not go well for my rehab knee. Oh, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. It just, you know, I'm not, I'm not in my twenties anymore. That's what that was the bottom. Oh, from a coaching standpoint, it's always <laughs> funny. Sometimes you get, you know, like the, uh, you know, the four-inch piece of uh, piece of foam that you uh, hold up as the uh, as little contact mat, and it's, you know, here, take this charge from however big these athletes are. But always <laughs> my job as the assistant coach. Uh, right, right, exactly. So uh, that's always that's always good. But Florida, Florida fans can get a look at Omar Payne. Um, obviously, this will be the game will have passed by the time. We've recorded it, but but hopefully uh, Gator fans will stick with ESPNU if they, if they had a chance to look at it and, and look at that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Texas A&M. Um, I think another game that, that Florida uh, should win. Um, Texas A&M's probably – I didn't check to see if they were the worst team in the SEC on metrics, but, but they've got to be close. Uh and and you know they've they've been somehow they beat Alabama. <laughs> yeah, they're they're quite. Uh, I'm just looking at Ken Palm now, and um, just for reference, uh, Georgia is 114th currently after the loss to Florida, and Texas A&M is 134. So actually, a, a good little step um, worse, and definitely okay. the uh, definitely the worst team in the SEC by Ken Palm, and I would assume by the other metrics as well. Uh, and I I like. Uh... I like Billy Kennedy. Um, I know he is a coach that Billy Donovan has a lot of respect for. Um, but I, I really don't know how that roster got the way it is after, <laughs> after having high-end lottery talent for a couple years. Well, uh, you, yeah, you just hit the nail on the head. That's what I was uh, – I just am so fascinated by the fact that he had that NBA lottery talent – but it never really, you know, really fit. And with these teams that just played supersized basketball and didn't really have, um, you know, didn't really have uh, enough guard play or wing play. And now you've got a team that's really undersized um, that could really use, uh, you know, an elite big man. Um, but the other thing too is that, so, so Texas a and I would say is quite an undersized team, um, but they're just horrible at shooting the basketball. They're, um, uh, I, every time I watch them play, it just seems like they're, you know, four for 23 from the three-point line. If I look at Ken Palm now, yeah, they are 27.9% as a team from the three-point line, which is 344th in the country. Um, so just a horrible shooting team. So, uh, I mean, if you're, a, if you're a team that plays as small as they are, um, you'd probably like to see a, a better shooting team. You know, if you're going to be playing small at the forward spots, you probably want guys that can shoot a little bit. And 
Um, so for that reason, they're just uh, kind of an undersized team that um, doesn't really score the ball very well. And they also kind of have to rely on a lot of um, kind of like, I don't know, novelty defenses, maybe you'd call them just a, a lot of kind of uh, amoeba-y kind of matchup zone <laughs> kind of things. And um, they can confuse some teams that way. And I think that's how they caught Alabama barely. But um, yeah, just what, like, just exactly like you said, it just a, a really weird roster composition. Yeah, I mean, they only have one guy that plays over 20 minutes and shoots 50% from the field. Um, and that's Savion Flagg, who I think is a really good player. Uh, although, you know, kind of a tweener himself. Uh, and then after that, it's just not, you know, I don't know. It's just not, it doesn't seem like this is the most skilled team. Uh, maybe TJ Starks is a guy who, if he played for Florida, we would say, why doesn't he shoot better and throw a fit? <laughs> but it really might be kind of who he is because uh, he sure does hoist a lot of jump shots um, and still shoot 35%. So <laughs> you've, you've kind of identified uh, what it is, but it's just interesting. And I think an exercise or, or object lesson in the fact that even good coaches sometimes can get stuck in a rut roster-wise if you miss a recruit or two. Yeah, and I, I don't want um, you know I don't want to say this without without really knowing for a fact, but it, it does seem like there was that kind of era that he kind of just took the most talented players he could get with those teams um, a few years ago that were just um, you know really big and didn't really fit and had you know like DJ Hogg who probably should have been playing the four playing like the two. Um, <laughs> so and I mean that's pretty tough. So you know if you can get you know good players, um, there's there is a large part of me that that even thinks like you know. For, for a lot of teams, like if you kind of get the talent, um, you can kind of make the pieces fit, but uh, they never just, they just never quite did. And um, yeah, even uh, you mentioned Savion flag who like for them, like, you know, plays like the four or the, you know, probably play some five for them even, but at like six foot seven, but I mean, he handles the ball for them a ton. He's got to play kind of point four, which is, you know, really good individual skill set for him. But um, I, I think he's still finding just how he wants to play basketball. And um uh, I, you know, when you're still coming into conference play, especially in the SEC, still without an identity, uh, that's pretty challenging. So just for some perspective, you know, the guys at Hoop Math and, and uh, again, thanks to them, but, but they had an article where they mentioned that last year, the, there was one common characteristic among every team in the Sweet 16. And it was that they had three players with an effective field goal percentage of over 50% who had more than 125 shots. So how about that? Uh, an effective field goal percentage is just a adjusted field goal percentage metric that takes into account three-point baskets um, and the value of saying. But I think Texas A&M has four players who have taken more than 100 field goal att- who have more than 100 field goal attempts. They have three players who are at 43 or lower. Oh. <laughs> so it gets to Eric's point of how bad that team shoots. And I think, you know – We've talked about how, uh, you know, Florida can clamp you down defensively and, and kind of force you into bad shots. Uh, we saw it a lot in the Georgia game. Could be a long night for the Aggies. Yeah, I, I, you'd hope so. And um, just kind of like um, just like the metrics kind of say, this is the worst team in, in the SEC. And um, for them to, uh, to obviously be playing um, at Florida, you would hope that this is, uh, this is a pretty dominant performance by the Gators. The Gators should be able to um, – should be able to really defend at a high level. 
Uh, what, you know, what has Florida been giving up the last couple of games? It's been the three-point shot. And I think, you know, like we have talked about, I think a little bit of that is luck. You know, Tennessee shooting better than their, their average for sure. But, um, uh, you know, if, if Texas A&M shoots even slightly better than they normally shoot, it'll still be not good enough. And um, my one concern is the fact that Texas A&M just does throw a lot of just really, like, weird defenses at you. Um, makes me just like a little bit nervous that the uh, that the Gators could uh, could struggle with that, but I mean at the same time, it's uh, the the metrics are not um, are not great for Texas A and M. They don't look very good in terms of their defensive numbers. But uh, you know, I watch them play, and it's like, oh, that's just obscure. And you know, if they can quiet the crowd with a couple steals and layups on the other end, and uh, and make things a little bit uncomfortable at home for Florida, they could give a little bit of a challenge. But uh, this should really be the opportunity for the Gators to get um, to get another win and, and get some momentum going into TCU. Yeah, you and that's the point I was going to make. Is that you know you win this one, you're you're three and three. Suddenly, we talked about this seven game segment that Florida has, uh, where five wins assures you of two quality wins, and there are really two games that they had to win in that segment. Georgia, they won, and then this one. Um, so. You want to you wanna be 2-0 and and feeling like you're playing well and playing winning basketball uh, as you head to TCU, who, um, you know, is a very, very good team and, and very tough team to play uh, in Dallas. Fort Worth, sorry. Yeah, and I mean, uh, we'll, we'll probably have another podcast, I'm guessing, before that, so you don't have to talk to us yep. about a bunch. But, I mean, <laughs> uh, TCU couldn't score it whatsoever against Kansas State. who's a good defensive team, but um... – you know, the, just watching that game made uh, made me think that that's, that matchup with Florida is is pretty winnable. And then from there, yeah, you go to a Mississippi, an Ole Miss team, which um, if you are a believer in metrics, uh, their their high ranking in the you know in the top fifteen of the AP poll is is a little bit of fool's gold. For example, they're thirty first in Ken Palm, where again Florida's twenty three in Ken Palm. So uh, Florida could get like a, a very big perception win if they kind of get this momentum towards Mississippi. And I mean, you've got Kentucky at home right after that. And Hey, I mean, if you get Kentucky at home and, and you're on a five game win streak, like the things, have, things will have really turn for the Gators here. And, uh, uh, not to put so much into a game against Texas A&M, but I mean, uh, you know, this streak would start with um, a big confidence uh, win against Texas A&M. Yeah, no, it, it would, and and you know, I think I think Kentucky is kind of hitting its stride now, um, and and will continue to be a, a very formidable team if uh, Tyler Hero is hitting shots. But but uh, you know, Florida has has played its best basketball games against them, and and uh, we don't want to look too far ahead. <laughs> this Gator team certainly uh, hasn't been good enough to do so, but. Uh, yeah, Florida's going to have chance at marquee wins uh, for the three games after Tuesday night. So the job is stay focused and make sure that you get the game you have to have Tuesday night, and then you have three more opportunities to build your resume. And, I mean, I think we talked a little bit about just how um, a loss to Georgia would be uh, pretty devastating. But um, like I said, Texas A&M is an even worse team, and it's in Gainesville. So, uh, like you know, talk about a talk about a loss you just you just can't take. Yeah, and Florida has to do a better job on its home floor. Uh, just generally, I think. I mean, we've we've brought up some of the numbers, but the program has lost eight games to Power Five, or sorry, eight games to all opposition uh, over the last two seasons at home. Um, 
just for some perspective on that, Florida won at Rupp Arena last year. Uh, Kentucky has lost 10 games at Rupp in the last eight seasons. So, <laughs> so, so eight in two years – not really where you want to be. You know, I would have actually, I would have actually for. taken the power five stat you started with because that would, uh, that would wipe the Loyola Chicago loss off the, uh, off the record. <laughs> so one of the rare times we're saying power five would have actually, uh, would have made the record look even better for Florida. Than, uh, yeah, uh, and, and it's, it's not even power five in basketball; it's power six. But, but right, oh well, yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, so the Gators, uh, you know, I, I, look, I think, I think Project One, um for Florida is finding rhythm offensively um, in the off season and kind of addressing that. But I think project two long-term for Florida is, is gotta be reclaiming their, their home floor. They were extraordinarily difficult to play on their home floor uh, the year they made the elite eight and uh, the last two seasons, you know, really haven't been. So, uh, you know, can, can get that started again Tuesday with an impressive performance against, Texas A&M right and uh yeah playing kind of winning on your home floor I I want I always wonder how much of it has to do with um kind of with the style of play that Florida has as well this kind of goes into our conversations that we all keep having about um, executing in the clutch but um uh you know for a Florida team that just really hasn't shot the ball well you'd like to think that they or I should say haven't been able to shoot the ball consistently over the last two years um you, you'd think that shooting at home would be their chance to uh, to make more jump shots um, but obviously, uh, we and we saw that a little bit in the first half against Tennessee when shots were falling at a high rate. But I mean, that's what you'd uh, that's what you should have. You should have uh, you should have uh, more jump shots falling on your home rims, and you should have uh, y- your defensive effort should be a little cranked up because you've got the rowdies shouting uh, in support. So uh, yeah, hopefully that will be a change, and Florida can continue to to make that a tougher place. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not uh, most nights. It's not about atmosphere. Um, you know, I mean, I watched Auburn, Kentucky from tip to, to finish. And in between shots of Charles Barkley, I got to see a great, <laughs> I got to see a great basketball game. And, uh, <laughs> and there's when Bruce Pearl showed up at Auburn, he mentioned Florida uh, at his introductory news conference. And people were kind of like, what? And that was the model that, that he felt like he could incorporate. He said, you can be a daunting you know basketball mad environment at a football school and i i dare someone to find me a better environment than there was at auburn saturday and i watched duke virginia too because i'm a junkie (laughs) yeah and and you know uh it was it was comparable if not better at auburn particularly when when auburn started to to come back and so you know florida gets that environment a lot um you know, they just – you got to win in those more. Right. And, uh, yeah, that's the thing about the SEC is you're going to have tough games at Vanderbilt. You're going to have tough games at Missouri even when those teams are down because those are really good home environments. Uh, you know, obviously much less like Rupp in some of the, uh, the, the even better pro- better programs. But, right. um, I, uh, you know, you were talking too uh, uh, about how Bruce Pearl brought up Florida. Even this season when um, – uh, when when Frank Martin talked about the Rowdy Reptiles being there, you know, the moment that they started shooting, you know, an hour and a half before the game and talked about uh, their influence. And, um, you know, it's something we didn't actually talk about, and we don't really need to. I don't really care to, to be honest. But uh, the way that, the way that you know, Grant Williams and uh, and Tennessee were, you know, chomping at the fans after, they, after their win, you know, he uh, – 
uh, Admiral Schofield said it was because of something some, uh, uh, you know, someone said that wasn't uh, wasn't a Florida, uh, you know, some alumni behind a bed that um, ticked him off. But I mean, as soon as they started chomping, they were going right to the student section. And I don't think it's because anyone in the student section was uh, said something offensive or anything. I just think that, you know, they felt that in- impact the entire game and, and the way that they all just went to to kind of taunt the student section. Um, to me, if you're, you know, now the number one team in the country in Tennessee or whatever they were at the time, three. And, uh, and their first reaction after winning a game over an unranked opponent is to go and taunt the student section. Uh, that says a whole lot to me about the student section because I think they really uh, had an impact there. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. And, and, uh, and for the re- I think I was on record, at least on Twitter, saying I, I don't care. Um, I think it's great. My, my takeaway was, like, if I'm Mike White, I, I say, look how much it means to beat Florida. Totally. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you beat an unranked Florida on the road, and that's what it means to a team that's now number one in the country. Like, it's a big deal. We're we're a brand. You can sell that to recruits, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh I, 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 yeah. I, I'll, I was actually fine with it as well. I wasn't. Uh, I was mad. Yeah. No. I, no. I know. And so you know, I mean, I think you know that's great. If I if I had BJ Boston there like Florida did, then I say, hey, that's that's the environment you get to play in, and that's what it means to other people to beat you here. So. So, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's important that Florida plays its best basketball on its home floor because that defense is going to travel anyway. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. And um, if they play that defense and, and their shots fall because they're used to shooting the O-Dome, they're going to they're gonna win some tight games. All right, well, we will be back after the, uh, the A&M game, and we'll talk about um, – the TCU game and the SEC Big 12 Challenge, I think, uh, may also have a special guest for, for the SEC Big 12 Challenge to just kind of break it down. Um, there, there certainly is an argument that uh, Florida's matchup, uh, along with whoever plays Iowa State, I feel like those might be the best two matchups given the way Kansas is playing without their bigs right now. So, um yeah, you know, it should be uh, should be fun. Any any final thoughts on what you want to see tomorrow night? Oh, tomorrow night, I, I'm definitely just interested to see um, to see who commands a little bit more minutes. Whether it is Jalen Hudson or whether it is um, uh, Ballard or whether um, you know if Stokes gets into the basketball game, he's going to have a smaller player guarding him. So um, that's kind of uh, you know, do I think he's going to get in the game? I, I'm I'm really not sure, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, like uh, if he does, this is this is a game he's got to make an impact. And uh, if he does happen to get it and doesn't make an impact, it could be a, a few more DNPs for him. So uh, I'll also just say, yeah, very excited for the Big Twelve SEC uh, challenge. Um, I feel like when the SEC was kind of getting a little bit of disrespect the last few years, it was always nice to see them. Uh, usually doing pretty well against them. And I also just looked it up just to see, and Iowa State is playing, is playing Ole Miss, which should be uh, very interesting and uh, hopefully a chance for Ole Miss to get a, to get a big win, though uh, it is uh, Iowa State's home, and they've got uh, – they've got, that's, that's another school with a really good home environment. Yeah, no, look, I mean, I was looking at the Big 12 standings today, and, and when your worst team is West Virginia, coached by Hall of Famer Bob Huggins, uh, it kind of gives you an idea of what it's like in that league, but, <laughs> um, yeah, so should, should be fun. And, and we look forward to talking to you guys about it, uh, then, but thanks for all the listener questions. Keep those up and, um, we'll be back after the, uh, A&M game. Bye-bye.